Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Philippians chapter 2. Today we discover how it's possible to find joy in responsibility. How to find joy in responsibility, reading from Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. How to find joy in responsibility. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into his word this morning. Now, Father, I pray that you'd use your word for our encouragement and our instruction. I pray, Lord, today that as we give you glory for the wonderful weather that you've provided for us, that you'd also focus our hearts on the message that you have from us from your word. Thank you for the letter to the Philippians, a letter filled with joy and a letter filled with practical instruction. And I ask today, Lord, that you would use your word to challenge some heart to draw near. I pray, Lord, for those, your people, who need to be challenged today to live for you, that that challenge would be clear. And I pray, Lord, for each of us as we go out into a world that is increasingly crooked and perverse, that you would allow us to shine forth as lights so that we would hold forth the word of life, even as we've been challenged by your word this morning. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. A man was heard to say, my wife and I recently had a huge argument. She says that I'm gullible, and she says that I'm financially irresponsible. And he said, I can't wait to go home and tell her I won the Nigerian lottery. So we open our Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 2. We find the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul addressing real issues in a church that the Apostle Paul really loved. And so in the first four verses of Philippians chapter 2, there's an appeal for unity. An appeal for unity in verse 2. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded. And then in verses 5 through 11, there's an appeal for humility. You recall that the Spirit of God says that our Lord made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Then beginning in verses 12 through 18, we find the Spirit of God addressing the matter of responsibility. Responsibility. The Spirit of God says in verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In verse 14, the Spirit of God is going to say, do all things without murmuring and disputing. And in verse 16, that responsibility is compounded for we are to hold forth the word of life. When God confronted Eve in the garden, she quickly put the blame on the serpent. 
when God confronted Adam in the garden, he quickly put the blame on his wife. Running from responsibility seems to be part of our DNA. Running from responsibility is something that is deep within each of us. Back in 1981, John Hinckley attempted to assassinate President Ronald Reagan. Some of you may remember that he claimed as his defense insanity due to a depression and further compounded by an ongoing diet of Twinkies. He sought somehow to leave behind the responsibility that he had for pulling the trigger. But running from responsibility is an exercise in futility. Just as you can never outrun your shadow, friend, you can never outrun your God-given responsibilities. As we open our Bibles this morning to Philippians 2, this epistle so filled with joy, we discover that there is joy indeed to be found in spiritual responsibility. In verses 12 through 18 of the text that we've read this morning, three spiritual responsibilities stand out. In verse 12, we are challenged to be responsible and participate in our own spiritual growth. In verse 13, we're challenged to be responsible and anticipate spiritual strength that God indeed is, giving, is willing to give to each one of us. And then in verses 14 to 18, we're challenged to be responsible as we navigate our spiritual path. Bernard Brown Jr. served as president of the Kennestone Regional Healthcare System in Georgia for many years. When addressing a conference filled with people, he shared a, a real story of how a patient in the hospital had slipped and knocked over a cup of water that was by the bedside. Calling the nurse, or actually the nurse's aide, because the patient feared stepping out of bed onto the water would cause him to slip, the nurse's aide walked in the room, and the patient said, I've spilled my water, can you help me clean it up? And the nurse's aide looked at the puddle of water on the floor and said, oh, that's housekeeping's responsibility. So the nurse's aide, in looking at that puddle, had declared it was too large for a nurse's aide to clean up because the hospital policy was, if it's a small spill, that's for the nurse's aide. If it's a larger spill, well, that's for housekeeping. So the housekeeper came into the room and looked at the spill and said, that's too small a spill. That's supposed to be the responsibility of the nurse's aide. And there in front of the patient, an argument ensued between a nurse's aide and a hospital employee as to whether the spill was too large or too small. It's not mine, said one. Well, it's not mine, said the other. And hearing it go on, the patient took a pitcher that he had by the bedside and spilled it all over the floor. And as he spilled it over the floor, he said, is that a big enough puddle now for you to be able to decide who owns this job? Everywhere around us, there are those who are seeking to run away from responsibility. Friend, you cannot and you dare not seek to outrun your God-given responsibilities. Yet there are those who seem to give evidence of very little spiritual growth. And when you inquire, they will answer something like this. Well, you know, my family tends to pull me back. Or... I'm in a community at work where, pastor, if you only knew what I had to deal with daily. Sometimes they'll even carry it this way. 
Well, our youth group isn't very spiritual, or the church that I attend hasn't seemed to be challenging me to grow. All kinds of ways that we ingeniously try to run away from our spiritual responsibility. In the passage to which we turn, the Apostle Paul is picking up the pitcher of water, and he's dumping it on the floor. He wants us to look back. That's why verse 12 begins with the word wherefore. He wants us to look back and remember the one who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He wants us to look back and remember the humility of Christ who being in the form of God was willing to take upon himself the form of a man and being found in fashion as a man humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, my beloved, verse 12, with that picture of servant humility in mind, the Apostle Paul picks up the challenge. As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't pass the buck. You must participate in your own spiritual growth. You must participate. In fact, as we look carefully at verse 12, we discover three things. We discover that Paul was concerned with the spiritual growth of his friends at Philippi and worried that their spiritual growth would stop because of his absence. And so he says, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He was concerned that the people needed to be active in growing in Christ. And so he challenges them, work out your own salvation. He's concerned that the believers maintain a proper attitude. He wants them to do all these things with fear and trembling. So notice with me. You must participate in your spiritual growth even when spiritual leaders are absent. This past week, my wife and I had the privilege of hosting some new graduates of Colonial Christian School. They came to our home with two of their teachers, and after lunch, they sat together in a circle and heard their teachers challenge them to stay true to the things of the Lord to carry on and continue on in the things that they have learned. Why were they receiving that challenge? Because many young believers slip away from the things of the Lord. Respected pollster George Barna was one of the first to put numbers to the epidemic of those who slip away. After having interviewed 22,000 adults and over 2,000 teenagers in 25 separate studies, Barna presented an unquestionably concerning response to the question, are the young people of America continuing forward steadfast in the faith when they graduate from Sunday school or Christian school or depart from their homes? And this is what they found. Six out of ten 20-somethings who were involved in church during their teen years were no longer involved as young adults. Now there'll be those who will say it's the Sunday school's fault. They need to do a better job of teaching apologetics. There'll be those who will say, no, it's the youth worker's fault. They need to be more entwined with our young people during the formative years. Some will even say something must have been going on at home. But you know, when we look in this passage, 
we discover the Apostle Paul was concerned about the same problem that many in America are concerned about today. He was concerned about people slipping away. He was concerned about people not staying steadfast. He wasn't just concerned about young people. He was concerned about the adults in the congregation at Philippi standing fast in the faith. He knew that those who would stand fast needed to have a model to which they could look for encouragement. And so the model that he gives to them is the model of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him in your times of discouragement. Remember him who gave himself for your sins. And so the challenge that comes in verse 12, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more, even now in my absence. He's challenging them to realize that spiritual responsibility is individually given. And if you would grow in Christ, you're going to have to involve yourselves in the discipline of Christian experience. You're going to need to be in God's Word and spending time in prayer and in fellowship with God's people. You must participate in your spiritual growth even when spiritual leaders are absent. And you must participate in your own spiritual growth by being active. So in verse 12, he says, work out your own salvation. What does that mean? Does it mean that we can work for our salvation? That somehow we can earn a ticket to heaven by our own efforts? No, it doesn't mean that at all, does it? This verse does not say work for your own salvation. It says work out your own salvation. Now the Apostle Paul writes to the saints in Philippians 1 and verse 1. He declares that these people are believers. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear that no one can work their way into heaven. It's not by keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not by keeping the golden rule. It's not by having your good works outweigh your bad. Ephesians chapter 2 makes it clear, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus chapter 3 says the same thing, not by works of righteousness that we have done, it's according to his mercy that he saves us. So salvation is not by works. You can't earn your way into heaven. You receive the gift of eternal life. That God, who so loved the world, gave to us when he allowed his only begotten Son to die upon the cross for our sins. And friend, if you've never received the gift of eternal life, we would plead with you today, come to Jesus Christ. Accept the gift that he bought for you when he died upon the cross for you. Come to know the blessing of forgiveness of sins and eternal life in him. So what does it mean, verse 12? Work out your own salvation. Well, the expression that the Apostle Paul uses in verse 12 was an expression that was used to describe mining operations, mining operations during his lifetime. Just as a miner would go down in the mine to find those treasures and dig them out, we are being challenged to work out what God has worked in. At the moment of your salvation, the Spirit of God came to live within you. Your sins were washed away. A new account was given before God. You were declared not guilty. You were given a new life. Those who have come to Christ as Savior, the old things pass away and all things become new. Infused with the Spirit of God, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So comes the challenge of verse 12. Now work out what he has already put in. 
They're our treasures. And you're going to be reminded in Philippians chapter 4 that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But here you're being challenged to be actively involved in working out the treasures that God has so richly placed within you at the wonderful moment when you came to know Christ as Savior and experienced regeneration. Jerry Bridges says it this way, We Christians may be very disciplined and industrious in our business, in our studies, in our homes, and even our ministries. But we tend to be lazy when it comes to exercising our own spiritual lives. We'd rather pray, Lord, make me godly, and expect him to pour some godliness into our souls in some mysterious way. God does, in fact, work in mysterious ways to make us godly, but he does not do this apart from the fulfillment of our own personal responsibility. We're to train ourselves to be godly. Jay Adams says it this way, You may have sought and tried to obtain instant godliness. There is no such thing. We want somebody to give us three easy steps to godliness and we'll take them next Friday and be godly. The trouble is, godliness doesn't come that way. In fact, the Apostle Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 7, and he would say, exercise thyself unto godliness. And the word exercise that he uses is the Greek word gumnos. We get our word gymnasium. If you're going to be godly, it's going to require some spiritual sweat. You're going to need to participate. You're going to need to discipline yourself. If you would work out your own salvation, you need to be involved in reading God's Word. You need to be involved in a time of prayer. You need to be involved in going through suffering and relying upon the Lord to lead you through that suffering. You need to be involved in singing His praises. You need to be involved in encouraging His people. You need to be involved in local church ministry. For the Lord loved the church and gave Himself for it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not just when spiritual leaders are around, but in all the time spirit that says that which is valuable is worth digging for. Work out your own salvation, he says. And he says, do it with the right attitude. Do it with fear and trembling. The right attitude. Philip suggests that these words mean that we're to participate with a proper sense of respect and indeed a proper sense of responsibility. You see, spiritual growth is not something that is to be taken lightly. It is the most serious. It is the most sobering. It is the most requiring thing that you were, that you were born again to participate in. Your spiritual growth is going to require spiritual sweat and it's going to require a right attitude along the way with fear and with trembling. Casual Christianity won't do. A relaxed relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ will leave you without any strength of spirit to move forward. There are those who are here this morning who soon will be leaving home to go off to college. Obviously, our hearts are moved toward you as we share from God's Word for you this morning. Work out your own salvation. Do it in a place where there's reverence, where there's respect for the things of God, where there is fear, where there is trembling. When the props are removed, will you stand? There are those here today who need to realize 
that having invested little in their spiritual development, you should not wonder why you find yourself often spiritually anemic. There are those who are attracted, after all, to comfort zone Christianity where there's little rigor and there's little respect. But the message of God's Word for us this morning is be responsible, participate in your spiritual growth. And when we ask the question, how? Well, we discover in verse 13 that God has already given us the answer to that question. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Friend, if you're serious about growing spiritually, you can anticipate spiritual strength. Paul is promising God's divine enablement. That divine enablement is sufficient for every believer. God works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. What a wonderful promise. Ephesians 3 and verse 20 says it this way, He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. That same word work in verse 13 is a Greek word energain. Energain. We get our word energy. The energy for your spiritual growth, the energy for you to develop into spiritual maturity is being supplied even now by God. In the past few years, I've learned something new about my wife. Everyone has their phobias. I've discovered that my wife is suffering from a new phobia. I don't know if it's in the list of phobias that's been developed, but I know this. She has energophobia. Energophobia, what's that? It's the fear of not having enough energy. No, not for her personal life. You have to understand, in the last few years, she's entered into the world of electronic devices. And she believes somehow that if her electronic devices ever go below 99% that she's in trouble. And so she carries extra batteries. She's always looking for a place to plug in. She's obsessing about her need for energy. Would to God that we as Christians would so obsess about our need for spiritual energy. And would to God that we would be assured that as we seek that energy of the Spirit, that we can know that God will work in us what He wants us to work out. If you're plugged into Christ, friend, you're connected to a spiritual energy that will allow you to do all things through Him who strengthens you. This very promise that His energy is available to us to do His work is a wonderful promise. He works in us to will and to do His good pleasure. There's a perfect balance that's being found between verse 12 and verse 13. In verse 12, work out your own salvation. There's human responsibility. In verse 13, it's God who's working in you. There's divine enablement. Human responsibility and divine enablement. Did you ever hear the story of the farmer who was visited by his pastor? The pastor paid the farmer a compliment. He said, Friend, this is a fine farm that you and God have. And the farmer responded, Thank you, Pastor. But you should have seen it when God had it all by himself. Now, the farmer didn't mean any disrespect. He was simply acknowledging what God's Word is teaching. God works through us as we work with Him and for Him. We trust in His strength. 
and his strength is always sufficient. He can lift you up in the trials. He can lead you through the temptations. And the challenge to be a responsible believer that rings from this text is based on the example that our Savior has given to us. During the construction of one of the East River bridges in New York City, the engineers were sinking their caissons down in the river, and as they did, they encountered a sunken hulk of an old barge. And that old barge that was sunken into the mud of the East River would not be extracted. It seemed the derricks were powerless to lift it out of that mud that sucked it down. And a young man showed up at the job site, a recent graduate of an engineering school. He suggested that a large barge be floated in over the site of that one that had sunk. And that as that large barge was floated in, they would take chains and they would chain it as securely as they could to the wreck that was down below, and that they would simply then wait for the tide to rise. And as the tide began to rise, that wreck that was on the bottom began to rise as well. Friend, you and I are tied to the one who knows how to move the immovable, who knows how to do the impossible. And this God who works in us, works in us to will and to do his good pleasure. As we tie ourselves more dearly and nearly to him, it's amazing to see what the Lord is able to do through us who are so personally unable. F.B. Meyer applied this verse very practically when he said, he may be working in you to confess to that fellow Christian that you were unkind in your speech or act. Work it out. He may be working in you to give up that business about which you have been doubtful lately. Give it up. He may be working in you to settle in your home with a gentler speech and practice than begin. He may be working in you to alter your relations with some with whom you've been dealing that are not as they should be. Alter them. The very day that you let God begin to speak and work, he will. Then work out what he works in. God will not work apart from you. He wants to work through you. So let him, said Meyer, yield to him. Let this be the day when you shall begin to live in the power and the might of the indwelling one. Be responsible. Participate in your spiritual growth. Anticipate the spiritual power that he gives to us. And then this passage says, learn to navigate your spiritual path. Follow with me as we begin to read in verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. He's given us the responsibility to navigate our journey. And three truths ought to jump off this page. They are these. There's a pitfall that you need to recognize. Everything, after all, is to, do, to be done without murmuring and to be done without disputing. Dwight Pentecost defined murmuring this way. He said it's an outward expression of an inner lawlessness and rebellion that shakes its fist in the face of God and repudiates his right to rule, that questions his love and questions his wisdom. It's the spirit of discontent Discontent that doesn't realize that God has presently given to us everything that we need for our present happiness. Don't murmur. 
Be content with such things as you have, for he has said he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Navigate your spiritual path, avoiding the pitfall of murmuring and disputing. God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, protected them at the Red Sea, gave to them manna from heaven, gave to them a cloud that would lead them by day and a cloud of fire, a pillar of cloud by night. Yet 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 10 warns that we as New Testament believers should not be like them. Paul says, Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed in the, by, the destroyer, by the destroyer. Do all things without murmurings and without disputings, verse 14. A little bit more intense. Now the word becomes very relational. The idea of disputing here is the idea of debate. Friend, do you find yourself navigating your spiritual journey? But when you're quite honest, you have to say that there's a lot of grumbling going on. In fact, those grumblings often find themselves in debates. Well, you don't hear that around here, Pastor Phelps. Well, what about at home? What about in your workplace? As you navigate your spiritual path, be responsible. There's a pitfall to avoid, and there's a person that you represent. Verse 15 says, you're to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Those who have faith are sons of God, and we're to represent the Lord with integrity. The idea here is that we're to be blameless. We're to be undiluted when it comes to harmlessness, because after all, we live in a crooked, a scolios generation. It's perverse. It's distorted. It's scarred by sin. This past week, I listened to the news that our president is naming a new ambassador to Israel, and I listened very carefully. I was very attent to that bit of news because, after all, the stakes are huge in the land of Israel right now. And if there would be peace in the Middle East, the ambassador from the United States must be a person of wisdom and understanding. And as I listened to that, I found myself in this text and found myself convicted. After all, we are sent forth as ambassadors into this present age. In an age where evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, we need to be asking the question, how am I doing personally in my ambassadorship that God has given to me? Are people able to see my good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven? There is, after all, in this passage, a purpose that must be remembered. We're to shine as lights, literally as luminaries, like the planets and the stars, and we're to hold forth the word of life. In a dark world, God has commissioned every believer to represent the one who is light. Jesus told us that as long as he was in the world, he was the light of the world in John chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 5, he told us that we're to be now lights in the world. And our light is to so shine before men that they can see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Be responsible. Don't let the light of the Lord be hid under a bushel of sin. Be responsible. Don't let the light that the Lord would have shine through you be hidden under a bushel of conflict. Be responsible. Don't let the light that God wants to shine into a world that's so crooked and perverse 
Don't let it be hidden under a bushel of apathy. Be responsible. God wants us to shine as lights. He wants us to share His Word. He wants us to be responsible, to tell others that the wages of sin is death, and then to let them know that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friend, you cannot outrun God, and you cannot outrun your God-given responsibilities. We find in this text that there's joy, joy that flows through spiritual responsibility. For the Apostle Paul is going to say that I may rejoice in verse 16 in the day of Christ, that I've not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if it be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and I rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. Participating in your spiritual growth. Anticipating his spiritual strength. Navigating your spiritual journey. How are you doing when it comes to spiritual responsibility? You can't slough it off. You can't pass it on. You can't blame others. God has given to each of us the responsibility to let our light shine as we grow in grace and gain strength for the journey. Be responsible. Be responsible. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org or check us out on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.